Okay, you were meant to have Andy this week speaking, but you got stuck with me instead, so that's just, that's how the, oh, the cookie crumbles, and the biscuit in New Zealand crumbles. So what we're going to look at today is, uh, now Marie gave us a scripture last week and spoke about living up to what we have been given, living upwards to what we already have, irrespective of the amount, and I want to, I want to look at that a little bit more and, and look at some applications of it perhaps. So the scripture is in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 to 17. Philippians 3, verses 12 to 17, and it reads, It's not that I have already reached this goal, or have already become perfect, but I keep pursuing it, hoping somehow to embrace it, just as I have been embraced by the Messiah Jesus. Brothers, I do not consider myself to have embraced it yet. But this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I keep pursuing the goal to win the prize of God's heavenly call in the Messiah Jesus. Therefore, those of us who are mature should think this way. And if you think differently about anything, God will show you how to think. However, we should live up to what we have achieved so far. Join together in imitating me, brothers, and pay close attention to those who live by the example we have set for you. So there's the scripture there that um, we want to sort of try and garner a bit more out of, um, relating it to other things that Jesus taught and that God has left in his word and the living up to what we have been given, because whether we realise it or not, we have all been given quite a lot. Sometimes it doesn't feel like we have much to contribute, but that's a false impression. And it's often a, a, a weapon that's used by the enemy to make the Christian life less fruitful and less effective and, and to damage a fellowship because, oh, I've got nothing to contribute, what's the point type of thing. But look at verse 14, the goal. The goal in verse 14 says, I keep pursuing the goal to win the price of God's heavenly call in the Messiah Jesus. God's heavenly call to us. Not a collective call, but an individual call to every born-again Christian. God's heavenly call. This is a spiritual calling this is on upon the life of every born-again Christian. And then, while we are pursuing this goal, verse 16 there tells us how our lives should be while we are pursuing this goal. Verse 16 reads, However, we should live up to what we have achieved so far. We need to be using and honouring what God has given us. And we'll look at the reasons why he has given us and what he has given us and how we should be using it. But we need to realise that there is a lot of power and blessings have been poured into us. And we have a responsibility that goes with that 
great gift that God has given us of salvation and the things that he has gone on to do in our lives beyond salvation or as the outworking of our salvation. So verse 16 there said uh, we should achieve this. We should look up um, to him to accept what we have been given and to work within that to pursue the goal to win the prize of God's heavenly calling. So here's the calling, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. What was that calling from God? Yeah, is it an individual thing? I said just a moment ago, it's an individual thing, not a corporate thing. So the individual calling, 1 Peter 2, verse 9 reads, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for possession, so that you might speak of the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. There is our calling. That's what he called us from. Darkness, the kingdom of darkness, well, it's not a kingdom. It is, it is a realm of darkness to the kingdom of light. That was God's calling that you heard and accepted. Because there is an onus upon the one that is hearing that calling. You can accept it or reject it. Many people reject it because it's too hard or it's too inconvenient or they'll get back to it later and they reject the calling out of the realm of darkness. But the calling is God's heavenly call. It's a heavenly call to live in the kingdom of light. He called us, not the other way around. We, we could search for God, I think, for a long time, but unless he calls us, we won't find him. And people look for God in the strangest places and supposedly find him in the strangest places. But the fact of the matter is, it is God that does the calling. And because he is sovereign, he is the creator and lord of all things, and that is his right. So what we want to look at is the manner and the outworking of this call, the call from the realm of darkness into the kingdom of light. And so we'll look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 17. Because you can know these things, but you still need to know how to outwork them, how they function in your life, and what is expected of you as a born-again Christian. 1 Corinthians 7, 7, 17 says, But as God has distributed to each one, as the Lord has called each one, so let him walk. And so I ordain in all churches. As God has called each one, so let him walk. It's the same thing, living up to what God has given us. As he has distributed to each one. There is an expectation that we are going to use what he has given us faithfully. God has a sovereign plan for every child of his. There is a common, if you like, purpose, because Jesus said the Great Commission was to go and take the word of life, the gospel, the good news to the whole world. That is what we have in common as a purpose. But within that purpose, 
God has an individual plan for every child of his. And that's worked out according to giftings, according to God's purpose, according to faithfulness, according to determination, according to a lot of factors, how that works out. But there is a sovereign single plan for your life which is different from every other created being. Because God holds you as an individual. And he created you as an individual to be used for his purposes as the person that you are, as the person, as the one he created. Once he sanctified you and restored you, he's ready to use you. Our own way is quite often how what we follow. Here's a sovereign plan, but sometimes we decide that we can probably tweak God's plan and be a bit more effective. Or he's being a bit slow about unfolding this plan in our lives. He must have overlooked it or forgotten some detail because we can see it quite clearly and we know what should be done. And this is a, the human nature. This is the flesh wanting to... There can be a couple of reasons for it. One, there are genuine reasons, desire to, the desire to serve, and it's a great thing to have, that desire to be wholehearted and to get stuck in and do things. But there is also a little bit of a double-edged sword in the fact that sometimes that genuine and good desire can then cause us to run ahead of God and try and work things out in our own strength. And that's when we sort of step off the sovereign plan. My a few years ago, I used the illustration of a New Zealand road map and Wellington being where we are at Salvation and Auckland being heaven. So that shows you how stupid the idea is because no one ever consider Auckland heaven. More likely, you know, Tauranga or something, I don't know. But that is, and there is State Highway 1, starting in Wellington, finishing in Auckland. Not a bad run through unless there's half an inch of snow on the desert road and then it'll close. But it is a straight run through there. Easy. And if we follow the signs, if we follow the road that is laid out for us, we'll get there with an easy trip. But sometimes we decide to go down the side roads because something has caught our attention. Oh, doesn't the mountain look lovely today? I think we'll go over there and end up stuck in... Awakuni for three years, or whatever. Yeah, we take all these little side trips in our lives. The road that the plan, the sovereign plan that God has set out for us, He will guide us on. But then we decide, hey, I think I'll just pop over there for a while and have a look at that because if I do that, then I can do this and this person will come to salvation and this will happen and that will happen. And so we digress. And I think in doing that, such is the love of God that he will bring us back onto the road. But he might take us around the mountain. So we turned left at Waiuru, went round the mountain and came out at Taupo and we missed what was in between on the road that he had for us. He's still faithful to bring us back to the road, but what have we missed in the meantime through wanting to go our own way? And so we need to be careful that we're not just taking these little side trips that are out of our own desires and our own will and our own strength, but rather we are looking to follow his 
guidance in every step that we take. And so this happens to us out of good intentions and, and out of bad intentions. See, as a mixture. Um, there's other things that can happen from, from leadership into a Christian lives. I remember years ago there was a big thing about finding your gifting and someone had come up with a questionnaire, three or five pages, and you went through and you tick this and you tick that and you tick the next thing. And, and at the end, if you had between so many points and so many points, you were a mercy gift and then you had this gift and you had that gift and all this other gift. It was a program made up by man to try and determine what gift God's given you. Now, when you say it like that, it sounds stupid. Because how can a man make up a program and then squash God's sovereign gifts into it? But it was, it was very popular and very accepted and very, it was extended by leadership and fellowships did it and, and everyone's convinced, this is my gift, and off they went trying to work in that particular area. When you work in a gifting area that is not actually your gift, you usually end up, A, disappointed, be bitter or burnt out. Because I personally believe that a pastoral burnout is a contradiction in terms. We used to see it a lot in the AOG, guys having breakdowns, pastors having breakdowns. Because the AOG in many systems, many of the, of the um, denominations, they have the determination that you hire a pastor take a good guy who's good at teaching or good at something or other, he's trained as a pastor, then he is put on a waiting list until a church needs a pastor and off he goes and he's the pastor of that church. But unfortunately, in many occasions, pastor, uh, the, past, the gift of a pastor is not his. He might be a teacher and he can't pastor. He might be something, he might just be a servant, a wonderful servant but his gifting isn't as a pastor. And they burn out because the expectation of the fellowship and the whole movement is upon them. Well, you, you know, we hired you as a pastor. Pastor. And that's what I believe you get the burnouts from, is when, a, when one of God's children is trying to operate in a gift that the world or the church has pushed him into, and it's not actually his gifting. So... Um, you need to understand and let God guide you in your gifting. You will be naturally drawn to it. If it's evangelism, you will be drawn to that. If it's serving, you will serve quite happily. If it's teaching, you'll be comfortable teaching and, and all this sort of thing. So let God do the drawing and work, and he will be faithful, and he will take you through those steps. But don't try and force yourself into doing something that is not your gifting. You can assist others whose gift it is without it being your gift. That's a wonderful thing to do. But that's operating in your gifting, not theirs. And so I'm not an evangelist, right? It, it makes me nervous. <laughs> oh, I've got to go and talk to people. Um, but I know Nick is an evangelist, and I would happily go out with him and support him and do the stuff because my particular, probably one of my areas of gifting is to support or to serve. And so I'm not claiming to be an evangelist, and I don't really like doing it, even though it's the Great Commission, but I will do it because an evangelist needs all these other supports around them, as a teacher needs other supports around them. 
as a pastor needs its supports. Yeah, so it's all a functioning, as Rochelle said before, of this jigsaw puzzle of the pieces of the church that fit together to operate how the Lord wants them to operate. And so um, that's not God's way, though. God appoints the gift and the man. We shouldn't be appointing, oh, you're an evangelist, out you go. Let it develop in people and, and support them in it. Um, because in 1 Corinthians still, in chapter 12, it explains it very clearly. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 to 11 says, But there are differences of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are differences of workings, but it's the same God working all things in all. But to each one is given the showing forth of the Spirit to our profit. For through the Spirit is given to one a word of wisdom, and to another a word of knowledge, according to the same Spirit, and to another faith by the same Spirit, and to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit, and to another workings of powers, to another prophecy, to another the discerning of spirits, and to another kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. But the one and same Spirit works all these things, distributing separately to each one as he desires. Now, this is so directly tied to the Philippians scripture that we started with. We should live up to what we have achieved so far. This gifting is not what we have achieved. It's a, it's a slightly funny way to put the translation, I believe, because... We don't achieve anything. It is the Holy Spirit within us that achieves it. We are the vessel. We are the willing servants. And it is he that achieves these things. And he distributes separately to each one as he desires. And whatever it is that he has distributed to us, because it says there very clearly, and you cannot argue with it, that everyone is given a gift. Everyone. There's no exceptions there. So the question arises, are you living up to the gift which God has given you? Are you using that gift how he intended it, as he intended it, and are you doing it with a glad and willing heart? Because you can do it with a wrong heart because you know you have to. And really, you're wasting your time. God will still use it through someone else probably, but where is your heart in this? Where is the joy that comes with a gift as you use it? It, it? Not only does it bless others, but it blesses you, your gifting when it is used for the service of God. And you get, you know, feeling this has become a bit of a dirty word in the church over the years, I suppose, but you get a wonderful feeling when you're serving God and you know you're serving God, you're in his will. It's a feeling, all right. God gave us emotions. Mm -hmm. And some, they're over the top, and others, they are stunted. But he, God still gave them to us. It's the flesh that determines whether we live in our emotions or not, and that's not a good thing. But he still gave them to us, and the joy of God is different from our emotions, but there is still a physical connection that 
in our bodies, we feel great, you know, because we've just got the, had the courage to speak the gospel stone cold to someone, and you walk away with a buzz. Mm? And that's a great thing. You have used a gift. Maybe evangelism isn't your gifting. But see, the thing about the gifts is, don't lock yourself into it as well. The things that um, you believe you are, you believe you're an evangelist, right? Just don't lock yourself into, a, I'm an evangelist, so no, I won't teach. I'm a prophet, so I won't evangelize. God uses you where he wants to use you on any occasion and any gift that he so desires. He will probably make you stronger in one, perhaps. It's up to him. But he'll use you how he wants to use you. And you, as a teacher, you don't need to be standing up here teaching. You can teach for years and years and years. This fellowship has gone Bible in schools, in Bowles School. That's a teaching gift, if you can do that. And it's half an hour once a week and it got down to a couple of months a year. But it's still that gift you're given to teach the good news to those that are saved. God will use you. It may not be your gifting, but there were a lot of willing people over the years that weren't teachers that went along to teach God's word. Be open to the leading of the Holy Spirit and how he wants to use you in any time, in any situation, and don't limit yourself. It can be very nerve-wracking if you feel that slight nudge to pray for someone for their healing, especially an unsaved person or even a Christian, because one of the first things that can pop into your mind is, what happens if they're not healed? How stupid am I going to look? Or if you want to hide the fact that you're thinking about yourself, you say, how bad will God look? God can't look bad. You can look stupid, yeah? But uh, the scriptures tell us to gladly be a fool for the sake of Christ. Because what have you done? You have exhibited a caring for someone, even if they're not healed, it's God's business. Once you have laid your hands upon them and prayed, the rest is God's business. What you're doing is you're perhaps showing a stranger or an unsafe person that you have a faith, you have a belief, and you have a caring for them, and you want to share something with them. It's never a bad thing. You don't look foolish. You can say, I don't know what's going to happen here, but I'd love to pray for you because I, you know, I do have a healing God. I've seen healings, and, and would it be all right if I prayed for you? You can do that. Leave it up to God. But we tend to sometimes think of ourselves, and it stops us moving forward. Oh, how, how, what am I going to look like a religious nutter if I go up to that person on the street and start to ask them if I can tell them about salvation? And the flesh gets in the way there. But God wants to use you in different ways at any time, as he desires. You're given the talents, and we're given that parable. You might have one talent, you might have five talents, you might have ten talents. But the principle there was the one that went and hid his talent was in trouble. It is a faithfulness with which God has given you, living up to what we have been given and using it in his service. So, one talent or ten talents, doesn't matter. Use it. Luke 16, verses 10 
Must be 10 to 13, I think. Luke 16. Reads, He who is faithful in the least is also faithful in much. And he who is unjust in the least is also unjust in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will entrust true riches to you? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who shall give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You have to determine the gifts that you're given, whose service they're going to be put into. Because we have that choice with everything that God has given us. Are we going to use it for our own benefit? Are we going to use it to, to satisfy the feelings of the flesh? Are we going to use it to honour God? We get a choice of how to use what he has given us. And this is what the whole living up thing is. Because we can live down. It's not necessarily a salvation issue. We can just take what God has given us and plod through the rest of our Christian lives until he takes us home. I'm not talking about salvation here. I'm talking about the pleasing of God and living up to this wonderful things that he has given us that are going to benefit others. And that is meant to be one of the primary things about the gifts is for the edification and the lifting of each other. And so we choose to do that or not. And we need to be aware that we have a choice in these things. Because often we compromise our Christian lives for the sake of convenience. It may be for the sake of not upsetting the family. It may be for the quiet life. It may be for social acceptance. But we compromise what God has given us damp it down and sort of mute it and don't use it and things because it just makes our lives a little bit too messy and too complicated. And when that, when, if we, that becomes a habit, compromise becomes a habit, then I believe like a muscle that's not used, it atrophies and becomes useless. It doesn't disappear. It's still there, but it has no strength and it has no use to the body. We need to be using our gifts. And if we continue on in this compromise, I believe that we end up, as is described in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5. There's one verse there. And if we continue to live down and not up to the things God that you're giving us, I think 2 Timothy 3 verse 5 describes us as having a form of godliness but denying the power of it. And it advises others to turn away from these people. We need to be careful. We don't have a form of godliness but denying the power of it because God's gifts are powerful. God's Holy Spirit is powerful. So the manner and the outworking of this call. So how does it progress? Okay, so I believe it's like this. You're saved. You're born again. And then you are mentored, which is the purpose of a fellowship. Sometimes you have an individual mentor within that fellowship, or from without, as we heard 
with Russell. But the fellowship is meant to mentor new Christians. It's meant to grow them in a healthy way and in a right way and to guide them to the difficulty of a whole new life. When you're born again, it's a totally different thing, especially if you come into it late. It's not so hard for a kid because they're so flexible and so able to take in things. But if you come into it later or for a teenager, it can be a whole lot more difficult because there's so many things pulling you in so directions, and that is the reason that a fellowship needs to be around a new Christian and to be helping them and supporting them, not criticizing them, being sensitive to them, and, and just building them slowly. And so you're saved and you're born again and you're mentored into the church. You're mentored one way or the other. The First Corinthians 3 verse 1 describes some of this process and some of the failings of this process are also described. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 1 reads, And I, brothers, we'll carry on a bit further than that, And I, brothers, could not speak to you as spiritual ones, but as to fleshly, as to babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with solid food, for you were not yet able to bear it, nor are you even able to now for you are yet carnal for in that there is among you envies and strife and divisions are you not carnal and do you not walk according to men so we're starting here with apt food I fed you with milk and not solid food which you do with babies Young Christians, born again, new Christians are babies, say young in the faith. And so they are spoon-fed, fed with milk. You don't feed them with the differences between the doctrine of eternal salvation, the loss of salvation, and, and the intricacies of uh, the rapture. And, and You do not. You feed them with the basic gospel and love of Christ. So they get an understanding, and that is the milk. But it would be unusual and unhealthy for a 17-year-old chap to still be eating baby food. Hmm? Occasionally it's quite nice. I like the apple sauce, especially on pork. Baby apples are nice. <laughs> and even up to a later age, I enjoyed rusks. <laughs> but as a diet of food, it is not a good thing because it's not apt. It is apt when you are a new Christian and then you go on to solids. But here it tells us that we cannot go on to solid food if we are still carnal, if we are still living in the flesh. And unfortunately, many Christians, there is not a change in the new creation. The new creation is born, and then the flesh starts to drag it back, as it is described in the parable of the sower. And so, this, you're carnal. It's not saying that you are not saved. What it's saying is that you cannot learn the deeper things of God. You cannot grow in Christ. You cannot enter into the service that he has called for you because you're still having to be spoon-fed and you do not have the understanding or the ability to handle the things of God. And so, and then you'll see people falling away because they don't 
Christianity doesn't suit them, they're not progressing, it's not what they expected, whatever, whatever reasons. You stay on baby food, you'll die, basically, spiritually. You'll wither up because there's no nourishment in it apart from for a short time and for a short purpose. Hebrews 5, verse 12. <coughs> 12 to 14. Hebrews 5, verse 12 to 14 reads, For indeed, because of the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again what are the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have become a need of milk and not of solid food. For everyone partaking of milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, even though who because of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. There is the reason for going on to solid food. We, can't, we need discernment in these times because evil emasquerades as light. Evil is the predominant percentage in the world. Even though it is the weaker power, it is the predominant percentage. God is the stronger power and nothing can overcome what he has established. Nothing can take your salvation away from you. You surrender your salvation. You cannot have it taken from you. And so solid food belongs to those who are of age and that you've got use of your senses. And it's hugely important to have that. Our food is God's word. Our food is God's word and allowing it to transform us. So the question here is, what does the world's word do to us? Does that transform us as well? I think the answer is yes, because I've known many Christians who have started off in a sound base and then they have started to follow a worldly doctrine disguised as a scriptural principle and they've ended up as fruitcakes, completely separated from the God of creation, completely separated from his word and following a man who has got doctrines that get stranger and stranger and yet these are good people. These are born-again Christians. And it talks about the elect being deceived, and it happens. And so we need to know God's word. We need to have discernment. For that, we need to be feeding on it. For that, we need to be exercising our spiritual muscles, the gifting, and seeing how they fit into our everyday lives. And so our lives are complete, and we're following the path that God wishes us to follow, living up to that which he has already given says what we have already achieved but the achievement as I said is what we have achieved because he strengthened us and enables us and leads us so we've got this food here for us that comes in the word that we read it comes in sound doctrinal teachings from a pulpit it comes from what we watch on TV and sermons and all sorts books all things but be careful because everything outside his word is suspect. What I'm telling you this morning is suspect, because there is going to be an element of me in it, in my opinions. 
my opinions will not get you into heaven. Neither will any other man's. So you need to examine what I say against scripture. You need to examine what the guy on TV says against scripture. The books that you read about Christianity, examine them against scripture because scripture is our food. And once we start eating from the other banquet tables, we will ingest poison that will corrupt and spread throughout our Christian lives. So how do we process this food and, and what we need? Psalm 119, verse 10 to 12. Psalm 119, verses 10 to 12 reads, With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. I have hidden your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Jehovah, teach me your precepts. I have hidden your word in my heart. This is the key to the nourishment and the growth of the Christian. There is no other food that will transform us into the likeness of Christ. There is no other food that will allow us to grow and keep extending what he gives us to use in his service. He that is faithful in small things will be faithful in greater things. So as we put his word in our heart and store it there and think about it and get an understanding, then we get to apply those things. It can come out in gifts, it can come out in words of wisdom or knowledge or whatever ways it will come out, but it comes from the word of God that is hidden in our heart, not from the word of the flesh that is hidden in our mind and so ready to jump out of our mouths and give someone advice. And so here is the food and the way to, to store it for growth in ourselves. I might not sin against you and continue to teach me your precepts, your commandments, your ideas, your thoughts, your desires. As we meditate on his word, then it's feeding our spiritual growth. It feeds our spiritual growth to the point of Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. Meditate on his word, keep it in your heart, and you will become Proverbs 3, verse 5. Trust in Jehovah with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear Jehovah and depart from evil. While we're in Proverbs, have a look at, go over to Proverbs 4, verse 23. And it says, keep, which means guard. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Very simple, but very direct. Guard it. Guard the things that you have placed in your heart from God. This is the living up to those things and the guarding of them and the value of them. Because out of these, out of your heart, the issues of life come. Also the issues of death. That's life 
for us. It's life for those around us, saved or unsaved. And we can mislead Christians through what comes out of our mouths and we can harden the hearts of the unsaved through what comes out of our mouths through a judgmental type of nature and misleading and foolishness. So guard your heart with all diligence because the enemy wants to stick stuff in there that's a lie. And he wants you to spread that lie as far and wide as you can. He wants you to follow false doctrines. He wants to mislead you just a little bit so that sort of blooms into a horrible growth on the wonderful, glorious gift that God has given you. So how do we release the content? Once we've got it stored up in here, we need to release this because we don't want to be misers with the truth. We don't want to be hoarding the treasure that God's given us because that's what it's not given to us for that. It's given to us to share. How do we release it? It describes what we should be doing. A couple of scriptures here, but John chapter 7, verse 38 tells us what should be happening in our lives once we have been, we've reached this point of solid food and we're storing it in us and, and desiring to be servants. And John 7.38 says, He who believes on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Rivers of living water. Imagine being able to spread living water that that brings eternal life into those that are damned. And that's what should be happening with us as we store it up, it reaches a point and then comes out. This is, you see some wonderful Christian men and women of service and living water is coming out of them because they have stored up God's word in their heart and guarded it. Ephesians chapter 4 tells us how to release this water. Ephesians 4, verses 15 and 16 says, But that you, speaking the truth in love, may in all things grow up to him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, fitted together and compacted by that which every joint supplies, according to the effectual working in the measure of each part, producing the growth of the body to the edifying of itself in love. So a healthy fellowship, a healthy body, and this is, Rochelle's mentioned, obviously teaching this to the kids this morning as well, it edifies each other in growth and causes living water to flow, which both blesses the saved and the unsaved. And so, and see the first verse there, verse 15, but you speaking the truth in love. That is a key, because over the years I've spoken the truth heaps, but I've spoken the truth to pull someone down, or to get them back, or to lift myself up and make myself look wise. And that shows how wrong my heart has been over the years. Speaking the truth in love is an entirely different thing. We're all very willing to speak the truth if it corrects someone else. But speaking the truth in love is an entirely different level altogether because it means there's a commitment and it's very difficult. But if you want living water to flow out of you, you have to speak the truth in love. 
Otherwise, the water that comes forth can be poisonous if you just determine to speak the truth. There is a vast difference. So, it's all about growth. You know, there's living up to what we've been given, but you don't stay in that place and stagnate. It is a growth where God will give us more and more and more as we serve more faithfully and more faithfully and more faithfully. And in order to grow, you do have to live up to where the Lord has already given you. Faithful in the small things, he will be, give you more because he knows you're going to be faithful in the great things. It doesn't matter how minor you think what God has given you as a gifting is. If you are 100% faithful in it, he is as pleased with you as the man that's just filled 100,000 people into a stadium to preach because you have served wholeheartedly. That's all he wants. The Lord's given you great or small. Be faithful to it. And here's the thing to close with. 1 Peter chapter 4. First Peter 4, verses 7 to 11. But the end of all things has drawn near. Therefore, be of sound mind and be sensible to prayers. And above all things, have fervent love to yourselves, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grudging. Each one, as he has received a gift, ministering it to yourselves as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let it be as the words of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as the ability which God gives, so that God may be glorified in all things through Jesus Christ, to whom is the glory, the might, and the power forever and ever. Amen. Minister. as the words of God, or whatever you've been given, it is of God, use it so it honours him. Father, I pray again that you would take any of my foolishness and it will find no place in, in memory, hearts or minds. Only your true and living word will find any place to reside in anyone that hears us. So we thank you, Father, in the name of Jesus.